Bible reading this morning is from the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 8, verse 1 to 5, and that's found on page 187 in the Blue Church Bibles. Page 187, Deuteronomy, chapter 8, verse 1 to 5. Be careful to follow every command I'm giving you today, so that you may live and increase, and may enter and possess the land that the Lord promised on oath to your ancestors. Remember how the Lord your God led you all the way in the wilderness these 40 years to humble and test you in order to know what was in your heart, whether or not you would keep his commands. He humbled you, causing you to hunger and then feeding you with manna, which neither you nor your ancestors had known, to teach you that man does not live on bread alone but on every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Your clothes did not wear out, and your feet did not swell during these 40 years. Know then in your heart that as a man disciplines his son, so the Lord your God disciplines you. Thank you, Tracy. What do we need to make tomorrow a good day? Well, we need a good night's sleep. For most of us, that's at least seven hours. We need to wake up early enough to get ready. Hopefully that means showering and brushing your teeth. We need clothes. We need a roof over our heads. And many of us need to go to work. And of course, we need water and we need food. I asked a few members of staff what their breakfast preferences were this week. And they vary from boring to baffling. Uh, You can try and guess who's who if you like. Some always have predictable porridge or dull frosties. Others are a bit more adventurous, having pan au chocolat or yogurt or a different option for every day of the week. And there is one staff member who likes an abominable mixture of banana and egg fried. Weirdly, no one said toast which is a shame because the verse I'm building to is about bread. (laughs) Whatever else you need to make tomorrow a good day, here's what you need most. As uh, Deuteronomy 8 verse 3 says, even more than sleep, even more than clothes, even more than breakfast, man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. This morning we're continuing in our mini-series in the Bible, Um, I suppose all of our series are in the Bible, ideally, Uh, but this is about the Bible. It's authority, it's clarity, it's necessity, and it's um, sufficiency. And we're longing for a rediscovery of the supreme worth of God's uh, God's word, the most valuable thing this world affords. Today, we're hearing about its necessity. We need the Bible And as with all of these titles so far, it's very easy to sort of just nod our heads and go, yes, we do need the Bible. Done. Sermon finished. We can all go home. But in practice, we often treat the Bible less like breakfast and more like a morning run. Useful, but not essential. 
We know it would do us good. We know that certain motivated people are in the habit. We might occasionally give it a go ourselves, but it really seems like a lot of effort and it falls down on our list of priorities. My prayer is that this morning, all of us would be helped to recognize that the Bible is not just useful, but necessary. We need the Bible. The main message uh, that we should all leave with is uh, the one that's going to come up on the screen. We need the Bible more than bread. And um, do feel free to insert gluten-free if that applies to you. We're going to see three things that the Bible is absolutely essential for. The first two are going to involve a fair amount of page turning. I can do the page turning for you if you don't want to flick through, that's fine. And then we'll come back to Deuteronomy for the last one. Firstly, We need the Bible more than bread for knowing God's plans for our lives. The Bible is essential for that. We need the Bible to know God's plans for our lives. However, there might be a couple of people that would object to that. Objection number one goes like this. I don't need the Bible to know God's plan for my life. He speaks to me through creation. Now, there's a nugget of truth to that. All people can have a limited awareness of what God is like through what he's made. So in Romans chapter 1, verse 20, we uh, read the following. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what he has made, so that people are without excuse. By looking at creation, people can know something of God. When we look at some of those stunning images that we've seen uh, from that new telescope that went up last year, um, supernovas and galaxies, we can tell that there is a powerful creator. And when we think about the kind of common moral order among human consciences around the world, we can tell that there is a moral creator. It's enough to, uh, it's, that's enough knowledge to mean that all people are without excuse when they turn away from him. But it's not enough to give us certain knowledge of what God wants for our lives. Yes, he does speak through creation. Yes, he does speak through conscience. But at best, it provides a kind of fuzzy, low-resolution image of what he's like. Just a few of his attributes And of course, on top of that limitation, um, this is a fallen world of earthquakes, of rot, decay and death. So trying to work out God's will through creation and conscience is like trying to find your way home from church while looking through a kaleidoscope. Um, You're not really going to get there. Objection number two. I don't need the Bible to know God's plan for my life because God speaks to me directly. And again, I I don't want to say there's nothing true in that statement. If God is God, then yes, he can communicate how he likes. In the Bible, we read of him communicating through dreams, through visions, through angels, even through a burning bush. But even if those sorts of things continue today, we read in 1 John 4 verse 1, Dear friends, do not believe every spirit. But test the spirits to see whether they are from God, 
The point is this, even if you heard a voice speaking directly to you, you cannot be certain that it's from God. It might be just your own longings, your own desires. It might be a bit of indigestion from earlier in the morning. Even if some religious figure claims to speak with divine authority, we cannot take that simply at face value. God wants us to test every spirit. And to do that, what do we need? The Bible. As we heard two weeks ago, this is where God has definitively spoken with ultimate authority. With anything else, we need to have critical thinking engaged, but not with this. So yes, if God is God, then he can communicate how he likes. But God likes to communicate through the Bible. So far more essential than creation, conscience, or direct speech, we need the Bible for knowing God's will. In these pages, we have clear, definitive statements of what God has said what he wants for our lives. And although he hasn't revealed everything, he has provided enough in scripture for us to know what he wants. Deuteronomy 29 verse 29 says, the secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the things revealed belong to us and our children forever, that we may follow all the words of this law. God revealed to Old Testament Israel back then everything they needed in order to follow him. But in doing so, he didn't just reveal it to them. He revealed it to their children and their children after them, on and on for, uh, until today and then forever. We don't need a new word from God. We need this old word from God to know what he wants. If you want to know God's plan for your life, open up the Bible. Let me give you an example of how recognizing this need changes things. When we're thinking about God's plan for our lives, often we're asking the question, what should I do? That might be about a choice of job or a choice of university. That might be about whether to start a new relationship or bring up an awkward conversation. What should I do? So we open up our Bibles and Sadly, we don't often find the answer. Zephaniah chapter 6 verse 1 doesn't say go to university in Sheffield. That's because when we're thinking about God's plans for our lives, so often we're asking the wrong question. God wants us to ask not what should I do, but who should I be? Who should I be? Asking that question first completely changes every decision. How will choosing this job or choosing this uh, course at this university uh, hinder or help me becoming more like Jesus? What will starting this new relationship say about my character? That's the question that God really uh, is keen for you to ask first. That is his will for your life, who you, who you are not necessarily what you do. When you ask the right question, God's will for your life will just jump right off the page. So we need the Bible for knowing God's plan for our lives. And secondly, we need the Bible more than bread for gaining eternal life. For gaining eternal life. 
On one occasion in Jesus' ministry, he preached a sermon that was so offensive that many of his disciples just turned away. They didn't want anything to do with him anymore. And that's in the closing verses of John 6. Seeing all these crowds turning away, looking uh, disappointed, shaking their heads, Jesus turned to his 12 closest friends and he asked them this. You do not want to leave too, do you? And unsurprisingly, if you know him, Peter is the first one to speak. And when Peter speaks, um, he either says something brilliant or something terrible. And uh, in this case, it's the first. Jesus says to his Lord, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. Jesus has the words of eternal life. There is no one and nowhere else that we can go. It's an unapologetically exclusive claim that Jesus makes of himself as well. It wasn't just Peter's opinion. Making exclusive claims that there is no one and nowhere else to go for eternal life doesn't really fit in our society of post-modernity and pluralism. How can Jesus really be the only way to eternal life? Um, Imagine with me that all of humanity is stuck down at the bottom of a deep, dark pit called death. And um, none of us have followed God's plans for our lives. None of us is really who we should be. And so we're all stuck at the bottom, in the mud, in the cold. And uh, we're plotting our way to get out of this deep, dark pit called death. Lots of people around us have got ideas about how we might escape. And so we We peer through the gloom and over here someone says, oh, uh, follow me. I know the way out of this deep, dark pit called death. Uh, And then you you, you turn to the gloom over here and yet another person says, no, don't follow him. Follow me. I know the way out of the deep, dark pit called death. I've got the words of eternal life. You're not sure who to listen to. And then you hear another voice. But this voice isn't coming from someone around you in the dark. Instead, this voice you notice is coming from the light above. There's someone who's got out of the deep dark pit called death and they stare down at you at the bottom of the pit and he says, come follow me. I was once down there with you, but I've escaped. Who are you going to listen to in that scenario? If you want to escape, you're going to follow the person that already has escaped. It just makes sense. Jesus alone has the words of eternal life because he is the only one who has escaped death. He, the Son of God, became a real man. He was innocent, but evil, jealous people arrested him, tried him on false charges, and had him murdered. They humiliated him, making him march naked through the streets of Jerusalem. They mocked him, spitting and hurling abuse at him. They pressed a crown of inch-long thorns into his head. They crucified him. And after hours of agony, he died. But that wasn't the end of the story. Because on the third day, the grave lost its grip on him. Death couldn't hold him. He escaped the deep, dark pit called death. And today, there is a man in heaven looking down and calling to you, Come, follow me. 
The thing is, we don't live in first century Palestine. We can't all gather at Jesus' feet on some grassy hill surrounding the Sea of Galilee. He's not physically with us in the flesh anymore. So where do we go to find these words of eternal life? Thank the Lord. They are recorded for us. The Bible is clear about it. Again, in John's Gospel, chapter 20, Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. We still have those words of eternal life. As that quote from John explains, it is now these written words that lead to eternal life. On every single page, we have the opportunity to gather at Jesus' feet. As you flick through the pages of your Bible, will you listen to him? Will you trust him? Or will you turn away? Maybe some of you here feel overwhelmed by the reality of that deep, dark pit called death. Maybe you've fallen so far that you can't remember what light and life is like. In the Bible, Jesus is calling to you on every page with words of eternal life. Will you listen? Will you reach out your hand in the darkness and feel his nail-pierced hand grasping yours and pulling you out into life forever? We need the Bible to gain eternal life. One more application on this point. If the Bible is where we hear Jesus' words of eternal life, if we have no one and nowhere else to go to find it, then doesn't your heart ache for those people that don't have a Bible? Shouldn't we grieve for those people that don't have a preacher to declare the good news to them? It's wonderful that around the world, 97% of people have at least a part of the Bible in their language. But 3% of the world is still 21 million people. And just because the Bible or part of it is available in uh, most people's language, that doesn't mean it's in their hands. It doesn't mean they can get it. Um, in our evening service later today, we're going to um, hear in our spotlight about an unreached people group. Someone from our mission team is going to talk about that. To gain eternal life, those people need the Bible. They need the Bible. They need it to read. They need it preached. So if you're around this evening, when Trevor finishes speaking, when he prays for them tonight, that's not the end of it. Let that not be the end of it. Let's keep praying for them through the week too, that Bibles would make their ways into their hands. We need the Bible for gaining eternal life. And finally, we need the Bible more than bread for continuing the Christian life. We're going to start tying everything together now and we return to Deuteronomy chapter 8, our main verse. Man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. What does that mean in the context of Deuteronomy 8? Well, Old Testament Israel, they've been rescued out of slavery in Egypt. They've spent 40 years wandering aimlessly through the wilderness. 
And now they're finally on the brink of entering the blessed promised land, flowing with milk and honey. Um, so all the people look over this land with like, hearts full of anticipation. They're really eager to get going, like um, kids just before you set them loose in the play park. But before they're free to play, a parent will remind those kids of the rules, the rules that are going to keep them safe, the rules that are going to make sure everyone has a nice time. And that's what God does through Moses in Deuteronomy, um, the whole book, uh, but especially um, here in chapter 8. Verse 1, be careful to follow every command I'm giving you today so that you may live and increase and may enter and possess the land that the Lord promised on oath to your ancestors for life and growth and success these people need God's laws and it's a lesson that they've already learned they've spent 40 years learning this lesson at times they had literally nothing to eat certainly no bread but God's word came to Moses and uh, God promised behold I'm about to rain bread from heaven for you And sure enough, God was true to his word. Six mornings out of seven, a strange white grain would cover the ground, um, manna. And as long as the people trusted God's word of promise and his word of instruction on how and when to gather it, they were fed. They had no bread, but they had God's word of promise and instruction. So God taught them, man does not live on bread alone but on every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. In the wilderness, Israel needed God's word more than bread. And Jesus quotes this very verse as we read at the start of our service, and and it's striking just how similar the situation is. In Matthew 4, Jesus is led into the wilderness for his own trial. This one doesn't last 40 years, but it does last 40 days And just like Israel, he's completely without bread. He's fasting, he's hungry, he's tired. Immediately before this trial, Jesus had just been baptized. And there was a voice, a loud voice out of heaven saying, This is my beloved son. With him I am well pleased. This is my beloved son. But in the wilderness, the tempter came. To get Jesus to doubt. The devil said, If you are the Son of God, if. See how the devil plants seeds of doubts when God speaks. If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. And obviously, for a man who's been fasting for 40 days, that is a, a really serious temptation. But it works on two levels. Yes, there's the very natural needs to um, satisfy his hunger, but more significantly, there's the temptation to confirm that he is indeed the Son of God, if you are God's Son, if you are the Son of God. But Jesus answered, it is written, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Yes, of course he could have turned those stones into bread, but he already had what he needed to keep him going through the wilderness. He didn't need any further proof that he was truly the Son of God. 
What kept him going was not the promise of bread, but the words he had just heard from his father. This is my beloved son. With him I am well pleased. In the wilderness, Israel needed God's word more than bread. In the wilderness, Jesus needed God's word more than bread. And in the wilderness, you need God's word more than bread. The Christian life is often a wilderness trial before promised blessing. Is there something you think you need but don't have right now? House, family, security, approval. In his fatherly wisdom, maybe the Lord is teaching you to depend on every word that comes from his mouth instead. And you'll face temptations to doubt in this wilderness trial. In lean times, we ask, am I really God's child? Will he really provide and care for me enough? All around are dusty reasons to give up and turn back. So we need God's word to keep us going. We need the Bible more than bread. For knowing God's plans for our lives, for gaining eternal life and for continuing in the Christian life. So how might, we, how might we put this into practice this week? One way would be fasting in order to spend more time reading and praying. Um, don't cut out food entirely. That's really quite dangerous for people that aren't used to it. Uh, but a couple of times this week, maybe consider missing breakfast in order to spend more time reading and praying or listening to God's word. Another way some of you could put this message into practice would be by coming to church this evening as well as this morning, 6.15. Of course, we're going to eat more than one physical meal today, so it'd be a great thing to eat more than one spiritual meal as well. But however you put this into practice this week, know what a precious book we hold in our hands. This is not just useful, it is, a, it is essential. We need it. Let's pray. Father God, please forgive us for our pride in thinking that we can do this life without what you have said. Father, please forgive us for where we've left our Bibles to grow dusty on the shelves. Please forgive us for where we have let your preached word just go over our heads. We pray that you would help us to appreciate just how valuable this book is. Thank you that you have spoken. Thank you that you have shown us what you require of us. Thank you that you have shown us and spoken words of eternal life. And thank you that you have given us enough for us to keep going. Lord, we pray that we would make the most of what you have given. In Jesus' name, amen.